Ken Krawchuk here, and welcome to episode 34 of the Pennsylvania Project. As you may know, here at the Pennsylvania Project, our vision is a better Pennsylvania. To achieve that vision, our mission is to boldly showcase the political, cultural, and environmental challenges facing contemporary Pennsylvania, and to relentlessly, vigorously, and methodically pursue correct solutions. But, as I always like to say, more important than solving the problem correctly is to solve the correct problem. And that is a target to aim for. Speaking of which, we have a targeted episode planned for today. And like all episodes of the Pennsylvania Project, it's divided into three parts. You, them, and me. Part one is all about you, your questions, your opinions, your solutions, your whatevers. And rather than a call-in format, we are an email-in format. So if you have something to say, you can always contact us at PennsylvaniaProject.com. And you can listen to us there, too, or on iTunes or your favorite podcast provider. Today for the you part, we have videographers that push the limits. We also have a reaction to my libertarian humor from episode 33. And time willing, maybe some spam. And I heard talk of some emancipation going on in Norristown, Pennsylvania. After that, part two is all about them, where each episode we host a guest to help us showcase political, cultural, and or environmental issues facing Pennsylvania. Our guest today is euphemistically known as a wildlife population control specialist, more commonly called a Pennsylvania hunter, Tom Cunningham. After that comes part three of the Pennsylvania Project, the me part, where it's my turn, your caster, Ken Krawchuk. I'll be focusing on some particular issue that really sticks in my craw. Today's rant, it's an extension of last week's. I'm going to talk about negatarians. And throughout the show, as is our long-established custom, we'll be featuring a Pennsylvania Toastmaster to serve as narrator to read our live commercials. Today we have Liz Jordan, a member of the Sunrise Toastmasters Club in Allentown, Pennsylvania, or thereabouts. Welcome to the Pennsylvania Project, Liz. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's great to have you here. Let me ask a quick question. What do you like about Toastmasters? The professionalism. The way that you can come in there being shaking in your boots (laughs) <laughs> and after one day, you can leave feeling as though you accomplished something. Uh-huh. Yeah, like their format, the structure, and the very professional way people come and evaluate what you try to do. Uh-huh. And, you know, that's one of the overlooked aspects of Toastmasters because it's not just public speaking. It's leadership skills as well. Yes. And that's what I'm hearing from you. Lots of leadership. Yes. Well, welcome to the Pennsylvania Project. It's good to have you. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Yep. We also have with us a second Toastmaster, as is our recent tradition, Someone to help us read and respond to whatever comes into our mailbag and join in discussions with our guest. It's a role that we have called cohort. Today's cohort is no stranger to the Pennsylvania Project, although he may be a stranger. He was our cohort in episode 28, narrator way back in episode 5 and episode 7. He's a member of We the Speakers Toastmasters. We have distinguished Toastmaster Art Farnsworth. Welcome back to the Pennsylvania Project, Art. Good to be back for my hat trick plus one appearance that's here. That's right, your fourth appearance. You know, that's more than anybody except me. Wow. Yeah. Well, why do you keep coming back? I keep asking people that. You keep begging. <laughs> so you're coming back next week too, huh? I don't know. I'll let you know. Yeah, we'll talk about that. All right, let's dig into that mailbag and find out what's what. And we're not just here to complain. We're here to explore solutions. Let's start in Swarthmore with Bob Small, who writes in saying, My daughter works at a Minneapolis library, parenthetically adding that Philly was too warm for her. His question, how should she or any librarian react to this? 
A group called First Amendment Auditors is testing the right to film in public spaces. In these audits, individuals stake out a public facility and record interactions with staff and the public. An uneventful audit is akin to passing a test, while a confrontational audit, usually an attempt by an employee to interfere with the filming, gets a failing grade. Hmm. Many audits are nonviolent and uneventful, but some encounters have escalated dramatically, resulting in arrest and litigation. (laughs) He adds a postscript here. A self-styled auditor came during a children's story time and was abusive to staff and also filmed small children without parental consent. Well, Bob, you know, I don't mean to sound harsh, but let me sound harsh. This sounds like a page out of some liberal playbook. It's a fact, legal fact, that you have no right to privacy in public, none at all. Not you, not your children. In fact, it would be kind of oxymoronic if you did, you think? Privacy in public? Okay, I guess. And whenever anybody says, do it for the children, I don't know, that's always a red flag for me. There's a simple answer to this. If you don't want to be filmed in public, stay out of the public eye. Well, seriously, though, if you see videographers, videographers, I don't know the word is even, you see a problem needing a solution, I want to know what solution you might pursue. Would you want to ban cameras? Ban cameras in public places? Don't tell Disney that. In my opinion, the widespread use of cameras, the pro- proliferation has been a real blessing for a free society. Not to mention all the great entertainment, because we get to see live action of videos of cops shooting unarmed teens in the back. Whereas in the past, they would just stick a gun in a dead kid's hand and blame it on the kid. I'll tell you, the proliferation of cameras, I think it rocks. Another one, Teslas. Take Teslas. Oh, please. They got something called sentry mode, where the car's suite of sensors and camera turn on whenever somebody gets next to the car. I don't know if you saw it. There was a story a couple weeks ago about a Tesla parked at a Wawa here in Montgomery County and some Yahoo deliberately splashed coffee onto the guy's car. But with the footage, they were able to catch the guy. There I am showing my age. Footage. Oof. Let me bang my head, too. What's it called now? Snippage? What do you call? I'm old, too. It's footage. (laughs) It's footage. Anyway, I digress. By the way, full disclosure moment, I am a Tesla shareholder and a fan of widespread cameras in the hands of plain old citizens. It helps keep the borderline rabble honest, like locking your car doors. What I like best about it is it keeps those rogue cops at bay. Bob, I do agree with you on one thing. If the videographer is being a real jerk about his videogging, or whatever it's called, or trespassing on private property, absolutely they should bear the full brunt of the law. But for taking pictures of people in public places? Come on, Bob, give me a break. As for these First Amendment auditors... I definitely agree with their goals, although I'm not one of them. I definitely have been one of them. About 10, 15 years ago, I used to go to every meeting of the Abington Township Commissioners, and I brought with me this one of these cheap little VHS cameras, and I set up in a corner and videotaped every single meeting. And Art, you've been to those. I have. Yeah. We called that the Libertarian Corner, because that's where we Libertarians would always sit while we videogged, or whatever the word is. Videographed. Videographed. Recorded. Whatever. Some of the commissioners hated it, and loudly, too. I think it was that sign that I stuck on the side. It said, free copies available, courtesy of the Abington Libertarians. It was pretty cool. And I did a lot of copies for private people. And I have to take some of the credit for eventually convincing the commissioners to broadcast their meetings. That was cool. And I don't think they were being either petty or paying me a compliment when they took over our libertarian corner to put in the 
permanent video equipment. I like to think of it as a constant reminder from whence they came. We have a future guest who was an Abington commissioner, and he presided over the committee that eventually established broadcasting of the meetings. Soon, I hope. And we get, matter of fact, we get two Abington commissioners on tap. Anyway, coming back to the issue, Bob, let me sum it up and just say that is what liberty looks like. Deal with it. We're moving next to someone who, I suppose, has his own comment applied to him. He did not provide his name, so we'll go with Mr. No Name Entered. Ken, I heard your rant about libertarian jokes in episode 33. The jokes were pretty cool, but you really wimped out when it came to the people you called negatarians. Mm -hmm. If you're going to accuse someone of something, at least have the courage to name names. Hmm. <laughs> and aren't you being a negatarian, Ken, yourself by calling people negatarians? I was hoping somebody would bring this up. I mean it. Because as I said, negatarians was – I talked about it in my rant last week, and there's never enough time in my rants. So this gives me an excuse to finish it up. So – Mr. No Name, let me save this one to the end of the show, and I'll rant about it then. Well, let's go with an informational message, shall we, from Oscar Goodman <laughs> in Angleton, Texas. This is funny. Do you know the miss, the impact missing one? We need, a, we need a couple of six inserted here, don't we? Do you know the impact missing one business call? Can you imagine the number of new customers you'd get if you were to stay active on your business phone 24-7-365? We enable businesses to ensure they never miss a business call again. Our U.S.-based <laughs> agents, you didn't hear that, Ken, our U.S.-based agents uh -huh. virtually attend your phone and professionally engage each caller in a conversation. Would you like to sign up for a tree free trial <laughs> one, one week? You want for eyes with that? No. Best, Oscar Goodman. Spam. We got genuine spam. The first spam we've ever gotten on the Pennsylvania Project. Wow. Wow. Oscar, thank you for that. You gave us a free trial of spam for one week. Wouldn't that be cool? Maybe a few years? <laughs> George Jetson never said the 21st century would be like this. But I got to admit, Oscar, you really hit close to home. And he provided his name. That's true. Supposedly. And, but wait. But wait. There's more. <laughs> Because this one, as I said, hit really close to home, very literally, because it so happens that my big brother, Barry, runs a major phone call center. He's vice president and general manager of America's Call Center. That's americascallcenter.us. So I gave him a call, asked him about this, and asked him if he spams people. And here's what he said. Let me give you a quote. Quote, spammers have no respect for you or your company. And he asks, what is the difference between a spammer and a person who stands on a street corner with a bullhorn? Nothing. They're both nothing but an unwanted distraction. Our marketing campaigns are targeted for those who show an interest in our services by using Google AdWords, trade resource directories, things like that. So we are there when someone needs us. But we do not bombard our prospects with useless noise. Very well put, Barry. You must have learned that from your brother. It certainly says something about our friend Oscar here. You know, and I like the way Barry did not go negatarian on him, but I'm digressing. And you know, here at the Pennsylvania Project, we are all about solutions. So what do we do about spammers? What are we going to do? Yeah, there are spam blockers, filters, things like that. But what about striking back? Mm -hmm. There's a great TED Talk about a guy who strung along a spammer. Hilarious. You should see it. He made it look like a lot of fun. Check it out. Just Google TED Talk Spammer. 
and you'll see the guy. And, you know, our, our oldest daughter, Melanie, she did something like that, too, with telephone solicitors. I remember her doing this when she was still living at home. She'd engage these guys in conversations, and some of them would last for over an hour. Her reasoning that was for every minute she kept the guy on the phone, that was one fewer person being bothered at dinner. Public service. So is that a solution, to engage these people? Maybe if, if you knew that our spammer's email address was oscar at livecallreps.org, <laughs> you might be able to do that. Engage the guy. Have some fun. I'm not sure what Oscar at livecallreps.org might think, but maybe we can ask him. Why would a spammer have a .org address? Beats me. Maybe Oscar at livecallreps.org could tell us. Maybe I should invite him to come on to the show and discuss spamming. <laughs> you know. What was that email address again, Ken? I can't give you Oscar's email address. Sorry, I don't want to violate anybody's uh, privacy here. Oscar at livecallreps.org. I don't, I'm not encouraging people to, to bother him or anything like that. But I think I'll try and invite him on the show. Think he'll come? Let's see if he says. I don't know that he will. Oh, you know, I'm looking at the clock, and we do not have time for our next one. That's a shame. I wanted to get on to that. But I can say my brother said to add that America's Call Center is a professional inbound customer service call center that serves many clients, including medical, retail, marketing, and service companies. Anyone that needs their phones answered after hours during the day, you don't don't need to hire a staff. They are a professional solution. America's Call Center operates 24 by 7 by 365 for over 30 years. Count them. AmericanCallCenter.us. That's my brother. With that, on that spammy note, that's going to do it for the you portion of episode 34. We're going to pause for this information, and when we return, we'll be visiting with today's guest, wildlife population control specialist and Pennsylvania hunter, Tom Cunningham. Did you hear the latest news? Almost two-thirds of all federal spending now goes to pay for the welfare state. More than $2.2 trillion, which just about equals federal income. Do you realize what that means? Virtually all tax revenue is now being consumed by the welfare state. But how do we rein in that runaway spending before it destroys America? The answer? The separation of society and state. That's the premise of the new novel, Atlas Snubbed, an unsanctioned parody sequel to Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged. Atlas Snubbed presents a workable alternative to the welfare state as we know it. Atlas Snubbed expertly extends Rand's epic story of a looter's world snubbed by the men of the mind, bringing to life a crumbling post-apocalyptic world where no one need ask who is John Galt, because now they know. Atlas Snubbed, available at all online bookstores or through atlassnubbed.com. Read it today before it's too late. Here's an interesting question. What do you think of these three ideas? Number one, people have at all times an inalienable right to alter, reform, or abolish their government as they think proper. Number two, juries shall have the right to determine the law as well as the facts. Number three, the right of the citizens to bear arms in defense of themselves and the state shall not be questioned. Do those words sound like they're something taken from a Hollywood political thriller? Well, they're not. They're all direct quotes taken from Article 1 of the Pennsylvania Constitution. 
Everyone's heard of the United States Constitution, but have you ever heard of the Pennsylvania Constitution? Have you ever read it? But most importantly, was it ever taught to you in school? If you're like virtually all Pennsylvanians, the answers are likely to be no, no, and no. Well, it's long past time we changed those answers to yes, yes, and yes. And you have a crucial part to play in making that come to pass. As you know, we here at the Pennsylvania Project are all about solutions. So we've authored a petition demanding that the Pennsylvania Constitution be taught to our children. It's up on our website, PennsylvaniaProject.com. If you believe it's important for our children to know how our state government works, please add your name to the growing list of signers. And every time we accumulate another batch of signatures, we'll send a copy of the petition to the governor, the Pennsylvania Board of Education, and each and every one of the 501 school districts in Pennsylvania, asking them right now to start teaching our children the Pennsylvania Constitution. So please, sign the petition at PennsylvaniaProject.com. Do it now while it's on top of your mind. Get your friends to sign it, your neighbors, your co-workers. The alternative is yet another generation that has never heard of, let alone read, the Pennsylvania Constitution. And people wonder why no one votes anymore. <laughs> so true. Thank you, Liz. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here again, and welcome to the then portion of episode 34 of the Pennsylvania Project, where we'd like to host a guest to help showcase the political, cultural, and or environmental issues facing Pennsylvania. Today's guest is a lot of the cultural with a touch of the political. He's Tom Cunningham, euphemistically known as a wildlife population control specialist, but us normal people would just call him a Pennsylvania hunter. He's been into hunting all of his life, starting out hunting with his dad at the minimum legal age of 12. And here it is decades later, and he still loves his sport. Tom, welcome to the Pennsylvania Project. Thank you for having me, Cam. Appreciate yeah, it. I appreciate it, too. This is an angle that we haven't covered yet. My, I'm not a 100%. I went out when I was younger, but my in-laws are really, really big on it. So what puts you into it? I mean, why why do you hunt? Let's just start in the beginning. Um, it was uh, pretty much tradition in my house. Um, ever since I remember, my, my dad would talk about it, all his friends. Um, one of the things we did... You know, we have the small game season that starts around November the 1st. But in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, the big day is buck season, uh-huh. open or deer season. Traditionally, um, the Monday after Thanksgiving was, up until this year, the opening day of buck season. It's like a holiday. Um, for a lot of the smaller communities in the rural areas of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, it's their Labor Day, Memorial Day weekend, all wrapped up into one yep. couple days, couple two weeks. Your season used to be two weeks. Mm-hmm. Up until this year, the, uh, the Pennsylvania Game Commission changed the opener of the PA rifle season, which has been known to all of us, to Saturday. Why? Why are they well, changing things? How long has it been that way? It's been like, as, as I recall, it's always been like that. It's always been that way since, uh, I think I read like 1907 or something like that. Yeah, it's been, I, that was after I was born. I was, what, 83 at that time? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but... Um, as far as I don't know if you know this or not, but Pennsylvania is one of the I think let's just say remaining three states, three or five states 
the United States doesn't allow hunting on Sundays. Uh-huh. That's and our blue laws, man. That goes way. It goes back to 1907, I think it was. We're as bad as I am. You got papers and notes and everything like yeah. that. Um, I just wanted to try and get you know, my facts straight because the Pennsylvania Game Commission was formed in 1895. I didn't know that. Yeah. I learned something and new here. As we had spoke, the uh, Gaming Commission is, is not publicly funded. It's all from license fees. And, you know, and that, that is cool. I've talked about that before. I mean, that is a libertarian's dream. It's not the government taxing your money and spend it on somebody's special interests. You guys are your own special interests, and you take care of your own. Yes. And, and there's a lot that we benefit from that, too. I, I'll give you a great example. The Appalachian Trail in Pennsylvania. Yep. A lot of that goes right through state game lands. Yeah, and... You know, this year they they've tried to accomplish the Sunday hunting, so I believe the Game Commission thought it was going to get passed. So they made the opener deer season on Saturday, so they would think you would have the Saturday, the Sunday. Uh huh. But it didn't. Pass. It didn't pass. Wow. Um, I was just reading today that it's it got passed through everything. It's gone to the governor's desk, and then it, hopefully he signs it, and then uh-huh. we have thirty days to wait, or ninety days. I'm sorry, oh, ninety no. days. So that's. Takes puts you into us, the next year, yeah. Puts you into next year. And oh, what they were granting was three days of three Sundays to trial. It's going to be a Sunday in archery season, which starts November, October the 1st. Mm-hmm. And the rifle season, which is typically the Monday after Thanksgiving, and then one day in the second season. Do you, th- third season. Do you think he's going to sign it? I would hope he does. Well, that wasn't my question. <laughs> do I think? Yeah, because he is a Democrat, yeah, and they tend to I be think, Bambi lovers. I think he will sign it um, because – it's a multi-billion dollar industry. That's true. And he is from York, so he's not from yeah, he's Allegheny not. County or Philadelphia County. Yeah. So um, it's, 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 it's a cultural thing, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and one, I of the thi- one of the things that I've also learned is that um, I'm blue collar, and a lot of us, a couple of years ago when the economy wasn't doing so well, a lot of guys were in fear of taking off because you had to take off typically Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Uh-huh. So typically we'd go Sunday morning, Stay at a hotel Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, come home Wednesday. Uh huh. You know, my in laws, as I mentioned, they were all big hunters. They're southern tier New York, Elmira, Waverly, Sayre, Binghamton, right along there, and some down in Pennsylvania as far as like Montrose and everything. Mm-hmm. And when hunting season opens up up there, they shut down the schools. I mean, that's it. Even the McDonald's and the 7 Elevens are closed. Yes, sir. And when I, when, I was a, when I was a young man, like 12 years old, when we were able to hunt, uh, we go up to the mountains, which we called it. Go up the mountains, go upstate. Uh-huh. They were kids were like, "Well, they're in our school." No, they don't close my schools. Everybody was what do you really, mean? yeah. <laughs> no, they don't close the schools where I live. Yeah. So it's different, I guess, in this in this part of the state. Um, oh, that's for sure. I was I was raised in a row home in North Philadelphia, and the only kind of hunting people did there is not the kind of hunting that the people would approve of. Yeah, and. Yeah. You know, growing up in the area, I lived uh, in the suburbs, and the places where we hunt then are houses now. My sister lives in development that I spent a lot of time growing up with my father and our dogs. Mm-hmm. But it's it's encroaching, though. I mean, the the growth, and not just here way down in the southeast corner of the state, but up on the Appalachian Trail. One of my favorite parts is where the trail goes over the Lehigh Tunnel, the northeast extension of the Pennsylvania Turnpike, right near, what's that, Palmerton, Tamaqua up above Allentown, up around there. And they call it, the locals call it Blue Mountain. It is, yeah. But that's not what we call it. We call it, I ain't a deer mountain. No, there's, <laughs> there's 
pretty much nothing on it. <laughs> well, no, you, you're hearing gunshots all the time, and we keep yelling, I ain't a deer, uh, I ain't a deer. Yeah. So we call it I ain't a deer mountain. You know, yeah. we're an international orange everything. You, know, you heard of blackface? Well, we got orange face. Yeah, it's... You got you to gotta be real careful about it. Yeah, wear, wear orange. Tell everybody that. Mm-hmm. But I said this moment ago, it's really good that it's open to the general public. So, Tom, you are paying for my fun on the Appalachian Trail yes, with what, sir. your license fees? License fees. Um, if you happen to fall on the other side of the game warden, your fines will go to that. Oh. Um, you know, Pennsylvania hunting license when I was a kid was, I think, six bucks. Yeah. For regular hunting license this year is $20. I spent mm, probably $65, $70 for my hunting license this year. You have to get a archery it's archery, they call it a stamp. We call it a stamp. So you get an archery license, a muzzleloader license, um, uh, fur bears if you trap, which I don't do that. You got to buy a wildlife stamp, or a, uh, not a wildlife stamp, uh, waterfowl. Uh huh. So you have to get a stamp for that. You have to buy, if you want to hunt waterfowl in the United States, you have to get a duck stamp, which used to be, used to be $2.50. It's $20 now. Uh huh. That's so infl- you, inflation of government style yes. there. And in order for you to use your duck stamp, you have to sign the face of it. So now you can't, if you were a stamp collector and you wanted to have a stamp in your, you know, to have, and a lot of guys do that, you have to buy two. Uh-huh. Because as we, I don't know if you all know that, but if you're a fisherman and a hunter, you have to sign your license. No. You do not sign your, well, if you sign your hunting license, then you give your rights up to search and seizure. If you do not sign your hunting license, then you are in, you are in violation of the law and now you're on the other side because if you read your hunting license when you sign it it says we can search your vehicle um i know if we think you're hunting we can search your vehicle so a game warden has a lot of power Uh uh-huh i'm tempted to push this button right now and ask that question (laughs) is it constitutional is it constitutional search and seizure you sign it over do you know i actually went into a good question i actually went in there and took a look in our pennsylvania constitution i didn't recall it being there and it's not and I yeah. found out that Pennsylvania is one of maybe a half dozen, dozen states where hunting is not constitutionally protected. Oh, it's not? Okay. No. No, mm. it's very, very odd. And you talk about game words. I want to save this for after the break, but I want to talk about the political aspects of it. But I, I just do want to tell you one story. My brother-in-law, Ed, he's, he's in – he's just south of – around Watkins Glen area in southern tier of New York State. And during the 80s – economy up there was terrible terrible it's like 49 percent unemployment and he had a wife and two little kids so he would go out hunting to put food on the table sometimes it was in season sometimes it was out there was one time it was turkey season he was out there shooting turkey and he flushed out a bird and he just popped it without thinking it was a loon (laughs) and loons are federally protected in new york state no kidding oh boy yeah and just his luck there's a game warden nearby and came over and ed says listen I thought it was a turkey. I didn't have time to stop. You know, I just fired and everything. Can you let me off? I'm out of work, you know. And the warden says, yeah, all right, I'll let you go this time. And Ed says, you know, well, it's a shame to leave the bird here. Do you mind if I I take him home and serve him up? And the warden thought about it. says, yeah, I guess you're right. No sense in letting the bird go to waste. And as they're walking out together, the game warden says, you know, I've never tried loon. And Ed says, yeah, it tastes a lot like bald eagle. 
That was from episode 25, by the way, that joke. It was. I know. I've told it once before. So only long-term listeners like you would have would have gotten that. But the first time I heard it, he had me strung along. I mean, the, the whole time, it was just on and on and on. And his brother, my other brother-in-law, Ivan, he's the same thing. He just loves it. He, he lives to hunt and fish. And he was having a little trouble, same thing, finding a job. So what he did is he got himself a job as a guide taking other oh people out hunting and fishing. They say if you do what you, if you do what you love at work, you'll never work a day every day in your life. Yeah, and I, pe- people paying him to do that. Yeah, I, I know some some gentlemen that uh, that fish. They're they're boat captains, and, and it's very different. Um, there's a, some some gentlemen uh, they like to imbibe themselves on the, on the boat and stuff, and it can be a little interesting when you're out in the ocean. And some people get a little tipsy and all that <laughs> stuff. But you know. I know one of the gentlemen that I know, he said, you know, it used to be a lot of fun. And then I took it on as a job, and it's not as fun anymore because there's stress. You got to, you know, no one likes to come home with an empty cooler. It's not good business. Uh Uh-huh. I guess that's true. So don't go fishing with Tom because he doesn't catch any fish. You know, you want to go fishing, you go fishing with Ken because Ken catches fish. Ken brings good beer, too. Well, (laughs) yeah. Well, you know. know. I do love to go fishing, but I never take any equipment. I just like sitting by a quiet lake at dawn. Or floating in a canoe down a river I mean, that's, yeah that's my style right there yeah that's one of the great things about you know being in the woods and, and on the lake is watching the world wake up i know watching listening i've been i've been camping all my life you know you say you're, you're a hunter because it's a tradition in your family it's the same thing with us in camping i make fun of my kids you know we'll be out on the appalachian trail and it's snow in the ground and i laugh at them i say <laughs> you think this is fun <laughs> My guest today is Tom Cunningham, Pennsylvania hunter and wildlife population control specialist. I'm your caster, Ken Krawchuk, and you're listening to The Pennsylvania Project. We'll be right back after this information. Thinking about getting your first tattoo? Maybe you're ready to add to that sleeve you started or cover up one that regretful choice. Put Sam C. on his team of artists at Iron Will Tattoo Club in Glenside, PA, at the top of your list. The team at Iron Will has plenty of designs to choose from. They can create an original design or work with a design that you provide. Call 267-893-7625 today to schedule your free consultation. That's 267-8-WE-ROCK or visit them on Instagram at Iron Will Tattoo Club. Hey, Art Farnsworth here, cohort on the Pennsylvania Project. You know, it's easy to find a high-paying job, at least for some people it is. Employers are begging for competent leaders who know how to communicate effectively. But do those words describe you? Competent leader? Communicates effectively? If not, or even if they do, you may want to consider joining Toastmasters. The mission of Toastmasters is to provide a supportive environment for learning, communication, and leadership skills. But does it really work? Hey, look at me. I joined Toastmasters and now I'm on the radio. (laughs) So turn your life around like I have. Visit Toastmasters.org and contact a club near you. Visitors are always welcome and be sure to mention my name. The future is anxiously awaiting competent leaders who know how to communicate effectively. You can be that leader. It all starts at Toastmasters.org. Are you a small business owner always looking for referrals? 
Do you have a streamlined approach to generating new referrals? Contact Stephen Worley to learn the fast, easy way to generate new referrals. Stephen has an all-inclusive system that will help you generate an extra 5 to 10 customers per week without spending a single dollar on ads. You won't have to create a website, have pictures taken, or write a single ad. Stephen will take the headache out of the process. Contact him at stephenworley.com. That's Stephen with a V, W-E-R-L-E-Y dot com. Do you have the financial freedom that you imagined you would have? At AJ Freedom Financial, we are dedicated to serving you while helping you achieve your financial goals. We offer planning and investment advice on everything from college and retirement planning to a rollover 401k. Please call 866-383-6899 to learn more. The top priority at AJ Freedom Financial has always been and always will be our clients. Call AJ Freedom Financial today to talk to a qualified professional. 866-383-6899. 866-383-6899. AJ Freedom Financial, helping Pennsylvanians achieve financial freedom from the man. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Gradient Securities, LLC member, FINRA, SIPC. Insurance products and services are offered through AJ Freedom Financial. AJ Freedom Financial is not affiliated with Gradient Securities, LLC. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here again, and we're back with episode 34 of The Pennsylvania Project, and our guest today, Tom Cunningham, Pennsylvania hunter and the wildlife population control specialist. Now, Tom, before the break, we touched upon something that I wanted to touch upon, and that was the political aspect of the whole thing. We talked about game wardens, and I got my my brother-in-law's story that he drags everybody along with. But like I said, I went and looked at the Pennsylvania Constitution, and we're not one of the states that has a right to hunt enshrined in our Constitution. It does come close. Article 1, Section 27 says the people have a right to clean air, pure water, and to the preservation of the natural, scenic, historic, and aesthetic values of the environment. Pennsylvania's public natural resources are common property of all the people, including generations yet to come. As trustee of these resources, the Commonwealth shall conserve and maintain them for the benefit of all the people. So that's a little bit broader. And, yeah. I, and and that's relatively new. That was that was brought in in the '60s, early '70s. So if the Game Commission has been around since 18 when say 1895. 1895. Yeah. yeah then mm. they predate that kind of authority with the Commonwealth being a trustee, which which I like. But these game wardens. Have you ever had a run in with a game warden? Only positive. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, when you don't do wrong. No. Well, see, <laughs> going back to the park ranger episode, who are we? <laughs> yeah, I had a, I did a rant about park rangers, and we even sang songs about park rangers about what they do. And game wardens was one of them. There was one time we were canoeing down the Wissahickon Creek in Philadelphia, and a game warden says, "Hey, pull over!" <laughs> and we were approaching a dam, and there was nothing we could do to stop. He he just wanted to see PFDs. But I took a look at it, and under. Title 34, the Pennsylvania Code. It's the Pennsylvania Game Code. And there are some real frightening things in there. 
me give you a couple quotes. Uh, Gang commission officers have the authority to, quote, conduct administrative inspections of persons, licenses, permits, firearms, ammunition, and other implements of taking, game bags, game, meat, poles, tags, clothing, blinds, decoys, big long list here. I'm not going to go through them all. Or anything that would, they find any prima facie evidence of hunting exists. So they can do all this, yep. and, it says, and it applies even for law-abiding hunters and anglers who have done nothing wrong. The only thing that can trigger this broad search is any suspicion on the part of the commissioner. Yep. And you've never been hassled. Nope. Nope, we haven't. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of times we hunt hunted public game lands many, many times. And like I said, I'm the son of a police officer. So there was a kind of that aspect of it too. And, you know, we don't want to get in trouble because, you know, it's my job. We're supposed to know. Uh-huh. And, you know, it's uh, some of the things, you know, you're supposed to know the game laws. In the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania and I'm sure many other states, you have to take hunter safety course. Uh-huh. So when I was 12 years old, back however many years ago it was, <laughs> is it was a six-day course. You went two, two nights and one Saturday. And two nights and one Saturday, and then the final Saturday when you got your test, you would, you would, they would show you how to shoot. Mm-hmm. They would hand you a gun, a twenty-two caliber rifle, and a, and a shotgun. Either you, one would be provided for you, or you could bring one mm-hmm. if, if you know so desired. And they would show you how to use it. How you had to be safe. Safety is a is a big deal. I mean, you're carrying firearms, of course. Mm-hmm. You know, and you're they out shoot there your with eye out. <laughs> a little more than that. But yeah, you you know when you have a firearm, you have young children. You got you know these things like muscle discipline where you point it. Yep, that's Careful right. Where you're going to point it? Uh huh. You know, I was at Front Sight Firearms Academy, and I speak by, very highly of the place. It's out in Nevada, and the first day I got there, it's like seven in the morning, seven thirty, and the people are unloading their trunk, and this one guy pulls out an AR, and he just like pulls it out. Next thing you know, there's three instructors. Two of them have one on each arm. Third one's got his rifle. He said, "You just muzzled the entire parking lot. If that had gone off accidentally, you could have killed somebody." I was impressed. I mean, I hadn't even been there five minutes, and it's like, you, you say safety? Yes. This is safety. Yes. Like I said, I, I told you we've got into sporting clay shooting, and a couple of the facilities that we're at, it's it's all safe. And they have almost as many. There's, there's guys everywhere. Keep your gun pointed in a safe direction. Mm-hmm. I've seen people get, come on, your day's over. Yeah. Your day's over. You know, because a little thing could be a big thing, and you can't really have a gun accident at a sporting clays glove that's <laughs> not going to be too good for you i would no, think no, definitely a mark on your permanent record i would think yeah would always um, say. but like as we talked the other thing it's 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 a very lucrative business for a lot of people is I mean, it? you know we have like i was telling you we have in the you know in my cable company that i have there's two channels that run 24 7 365 hmm. and it's hunting and fishing shows Hunting and fishing shows. Hunting and fishing shows. Uh-huh. What do they show? A guy sitting in a blind for three hours waiting for something? Well, see, <laughs> the, the, the funny thing is, is they do that, but you got to make that entertaining. Uh-huh. You know, you have, was it 22 minutes on commercial television, and the rest is all commercial. So they got to do the lead up, go mm-hmm. into the stand, and then they have, you know, this one, and they think you're going to get this one, but it's another one. Uh-huh. Um, and it's, you know, it's a big deal. And I, what I've seen in my lifetime is is now it's it's a lot of those guys are doing the self the self thing like self-recorded you uh-huh. know look i can do it you can do it we can all do it and now you have the trail cams trail cams are a big deal you put a camera in the woods put it on a tree 
animal walks by, takes a picture. Person walks by, takes a picture. So uh-huh. now it, it's kind of interesting as you get to see things that you normally wouldn't see, or you'd be like, man, I wonder what's happening over there. Uh-huh. And then you go get your trail cam and you go, oh, I should have sat here today. This brings a whole new point of view to us being out on the Appalachian Trail. Yes. My yeah. wife and I go out there. Yes. Yeah, we're, so. we're big campers. Matter of fact, we met on a camping trip. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's why the kids do it. Our youngest, she was 10 days old on her first camping trip. Okay. That's great. Yeah. And like I said, I laugh at them. You think <laughs> this is fun. And they were so proud of themselves when they made their first little latrine out in the woods. <laughs> yeah, my, my dad didn't like tents, so we didn't go camping. Oh, I don't like tents either. I just sleep under the stars. Oh, yeah. No, he wouldn't do that either. He was in the Army. He said, I spent enough time in tents, kid. <laughs> we're going we're to stay at a hotel. I probably hear that more than any other any other comment. Yeah, so. you know, and let me back up again because I'm not done with these game words. I'm surprised that you have such such pleasant things. And, and are, are you sure about that episode number? Was it 23? I'm not sure. Oh, I should, I'd have to look it up. I'd have to check it out where we have game wardens. Do I have it in my – I do. Game, com, game commission. It was episode 20. Oh, no, 21. We talked about the Game Commission, episode 21. That's not the one Not the one I want. No, it's not on my list here. I'm going to have to update that. Oh, no, here it is. Rangers. It was in episode 19. Oh. The end of episode 19, I ranted for 10 minutes about them. And we also had a, a jazz singer sing a rewrite mm-hmm. of Paul and Oates' song, Man, Man Eater, Eater yeah. and, and did it as Park Ranger. He only comes out at night, hassling every site. <laughs> now, before we run out of time, are we going to address with him the population control aspect? I'm curious to know more about that. Okay. Well, I did some research, and back in um, uh, back in 1906, there were pretty much no deer left in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Wow. Because the growth of our state, that's how we fed ourselves. Is we had professional hunters, and they would go out, and they would. They would shoot deer and all the wild game. They pretty much, pretty much took care of everything. And in 1906, Pennsylvania purchased 1,192 deer from Kentucky, Maine, Michigan, New Hampshire, New Jersey, North Carolina, Ohio, and Pennsylvania. And back then, there was um, 19, 1907. It was buck only. And back then, you didn't shoot a doe because that was just you know you kill too many deer. Mm-hmm. Biggest problem. Women so, and children first. Well, you know, it was, I think Relaxed. I guess it was yeah. I guess it was a pride thing. I'm, I'm not really sure, um, but in um, 1931, there was an estimate of 800,000 deer in a Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. In um, last year, 2008, they estimated 1.5 million deer in a Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Oh. Mm. So, and in the average in the average day, there are 275 deer versus car collisions. Oh, I believe that. Yeah, Many of them in Bucks County alone. Yeah, yeah. And in 1907... Doe's County? <clears throat> Bucks County? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. In 1907, there were 230 deer reported harvest. So, you know, the... That's not a lot. No, it's not a lot. And in 2008, 2019, there were 300,700... Yeah. A couple hundred thousand. Yeah, almost 400,000 <laughs> deer reported harvest. So when you, when you harvest a deer... Deer, bear, turkey in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. You file a harvest report card. You send it to the state or the mm-hmm. com. I'm sorry, the game commission. And they record it. Say, okay, you, you know, we have this many deer. We're harvested, so we have an idea as to how to better regulate our population. And if you are 
if you harvest a bear, you have to report a bear. You have to take the bear to a report station mm-hmm. where they t- age the bear. They do it. They do a test on it. They test uh, for uh, trichinosis, uh-huh. which is um, uh, it's a parasite. And bear, yeah. um, bear, they're 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 just opportunistic. They, if it's dead, they'll eat it. Mm-hmm. You know, good thing for them. They can eat anything: shrubs, <laughs> apples. You know, people. People. Well, I, don't, I guess they do. <laughs> I mean, you know, um, I'm, I'm one of those. I'm more afraid of snakes than I'm a bear. So uh, yeah. I don't see too many. I spent a lot of time camping. I'm at at least once a month, a couple nights a month. Yeah. I, I spent a couple years ago. I spent sixty some nights out one year, seventy mm-hmm. some nights out the next year. I mean, I'm out there all the time. I can count on one hand the number of bear that I've seen out in the woods. Yeah, me too. And I've been, you know, not all the time, not as many as some people, but it's uh-huh. they're they're smart. You know, they have big ears and a big nose, and they know you're there. <laughs> they know you're there before you know they're there. And yeah, you know. they go the other way. Except yeah. they tend to ignore it. The, the two that I saw, both of them were on their own business. They were walking in a straight line that was tangential to me, and they just kept on rolling, going somewhere. Yeah, um, I was always taught that the worst case you can be in is between a a sow. And her cubs, and cubs, or be around yeah. a sow and her cubs. Yep. And but other than that, they they, they know you're there before you know they're there. Mm-hmm. And you don't see them. Yep. My father-in-law says bark at him that always chases them away. Right. I don't know. Yeah. Tom, you know we are out of time. I'm surprised how quickly the time flows when we do this. Any final comments? You got a something you want to plug? Um, actually, I just want to say to um, support your uh, cancer research and for all the women really? out there, please get your mammograms. Um, Wow, that's a definite left yeah. turn from the subject yeah, we're talking well, about. You know, um, my mother and my sister are uh, breast cancer survivors. Well, congratulations so, to them. Yeah, and uh, I think there needs to be more done with cancer research because I lost my uncle to cancer. So. Uh-huh, I agree. Our, our daughter came down with leukemia. I guess it was almost four years ago now, bone marrow transplant and everything. And yeah. They said if she was, if it happened 10 years ago, she'd be dead. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. so, yeah, you got a good one there. You know, I, I should probably do something more about that. Yeah, yeah my uncle lost his battle with lymphoma, so. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's going to have to wrap it up for the them portion of episode 34 of the Pennsylvania Project. My thanks again to Tom Cunningham, our, our wildlife population control specialist, for sharing his facts on hunting. It's been pretty – for hunting us down, I guess I should say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Sure. We're going to pause for this information, and when we return, I'm going to be ranting about something that really sticks in my craw. Negatarians. The following is a commercial announcement. Hey, Liz, how's it going? Nah, could be better. Why? What's the matter? I just found a great job, but I can't take it. Why not? They want me to go as a 1099 contractor. So? So, what about all the taxes? Federal taxes, state taxes, this tax, that tax. I have better things to do than figure out the tax laws and filling out all those forms. I'm a libertarian, remember? Well, then you need Amendment 16. Hey, it's the damn 16th Amendment that got me into this predicament in the first place. No, 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 no. Amendment 16, the invoicing service. They'll invoice your client for the hours and expenses you report to them, and when your client pays them, they pay you. Minus all required state and federal taxes. It's that easy. One call does it all. And they'll even have an accountant do your personal taxes for you come April Fool's Day. I mean, come April 15th. And they take care of all the taxes? And all the forms? Yep. And they can pass along certain tax breaks, too. Sounds perfect. Where do I find them? On the web, of course, at amendment16.com, with 16 spelled out. That's amendment, S-I-X-T-E-E-N.com. One call does it all. 
You've been a registered libertarian for years, voted for libertarians even longer, and lived by libertarian principles all your life. Now, it's time to take the next step and become a dues-paying member of the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania. Keep abreast of the march toward liberty in Pennsylvania, take an active role in making it happen, maybe even consider running for local political office yourself. It all starts with becoming a dues-paying member of the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania. It's easy, fast, and only $20 a year. So visit lppa.org to sign up today. That's lppa.org. Do it today. A freer future is waiting. Hey, Ken Crotchuk here again, and welcome to the me portion of episode 34 of the Pennsylvania Project where I get to rant about something that really sticks in my craw. Today, negatarians. As I mentioned earlier in the episode, someone reacted to my rant about negatarians from episode 33. In part, he said, quote, you really wimped out when it came to people you call negatarians. If you're going to accuse someone of something, at least have the courage to name names. And aren't you being a negatarian yourself by calling people negatarians? I was hoping somebody would bring that up. Because it seems I never have enough time to cover everything I want in my rants. Either I mistime it and have to cut things out, or our guest goes longer than expected, or our cohort has some big complex question at the last minute. And things always end up on the cutting room floor. Cutting room floor, I'm showing my age again. <laughs> but I digress. What got cut out of the rant in the last episode was the complete definition of a negatarian. All I had time for was a brief alliterative illusion when I called them saboteurs of the soul who sit on the sidelines and snipe. That's a good place to put a period, I'll tell you. But since I got the full definition cut out, I'm going to go through it now. And that way I can answer a little more pointedly our listeners' faceless question, whether or not I'm a negatarian. And you home listeners can play the home game and you tell me. Let me give you some context. For those who might have missed episode 33... I told a classic libertarian joke that really captures the attitudes of the Libertarian Party, some of those true negatarians. I found it funny because it's far too accurate, and I hope those of you who are there for episode 33 don't mind if I repeat it. Only let me tell it a little better than last time. I changed the characterizations around. There's one night a woman was walking home and came across a man standing on the edge of a bridge about to jump. Wait, she yelled, don't jump, don't jump. What's wrong? Oh, it's this country, he lamented. It's falling into political ruin, and there's nothing I can do about it. I don't want to live on this planet anymore. Oh, cheer up, she said. We're all in this together, both liberals and conservatives. Which one are you? Neither, he said. That's part of the problem. I'm a libertarian. Hey, me too, she exclaimed. Hey, so you're not alone. Are you a, a free market libertarian or a libertarian socialist? A free market libertarian, he said. Same here, she said. Are you paleo-libertarian or neo-libertarian? Oh, Paleo-libertarian. Hey, so am I. Are you Chicago or Austrian School of Economics? Austrian, he said. Me too. Are you Hayekian or Rothbardian? Oh, Rothbardian. What, same as me? Are you consequentialist or deontological? Consequentialist, he said. Die, statist, she suddenly yelled and pushed the man off the bridge. (sighs) That is so true and so on point, and it captures the negatarian side of the party so precisely. Regardless of our similarities, all the way down to the seventh decimal place, people will go nuclear if they find a a deviation. Negatarians. 
It's not somebody who's just saying no, as that joke seems to imply. It's more of a relation of your philosophy of political life. But like any philosophy, it has its shades of gray and different degrees. So being a negatarian is actually a collection of attributes rather than one definition. About 20 years ago, there's a long extinct email list called PA Libernet. On that list, they compiled eight attributes of negatarianism. And you know, I went back out in some old, old backups and I dug it out for my rant on libertarian humor in episode 33. And since I went through all that trouble to find them, then damn it, I'm gonna, I'm gonna mention them. So what is a negatarian? One or more of the following eight attributes. One, the use of innuendo to belittle or obfuscate. Such as saying things like, oh yeah, what does he know? Or number two, presenting opinions as conclusions rather than presenting a fact. Such as saying, oh, I think he frightens people away from our meetings. Number three, using rude words or gestures against your peers or their activities. And probably one of the best examples of that is crooked Hillary. I know I left the state, mea culpa. Number four, changing the subject or not answering a direct question, such as things like, I don't care if he portrays libertarianism accurately or not. How do we stop him from coming to our meetings? Number five, placing your personal pet peeves above the best interests of the party, such as, I don't care what the bylaws say. I want that activist kicked out of the party. Number six, sixth attribute of a negatarian, Making up facts or non-existent responsibilities and using them to promote your agenda, such as, how dare he call himself a libertarian? I'd rather have no one on the ballot than him. Number seven, blindsiding your peers, such as, let's not tell him about the upcoming vote. Or number eight, along the same lines, hiding information others should rightly know or any unreasonable secrecy, such as, why warn him we're going to vote to throw him out of the party? By these eight traits, you can recognize a liber- uh, yeah, libertarian, a negatarian, and they don't need to have all these qualities. Let's call them just indicators of negatarianism. So they can be like a one-star negatarian, which only has one of those attributes, or an eight-star who has all eight. He's the kind of person who's no fun to have at parties, political party or otherwise. So using this eight-point definition, I don't think any argument can be made that I was a negatarian, not even one star. Me, I personally, I like to outline the facts, and you can say for yourself what fits or what doesn't. For example, I would never call a socialist a thief, but rather I would point out the trail of thefts that they leave behind them, and you can make up your own mind. And that means I wouldn't think of calling anyone a negatarian even if they proudly wear all eight stars. Instead of dwelling on the negatarianism, let me channel instead a positarian libertarian who influenced me greatly back in the day when I was a brand new libertarian, and Art may even remember him. The man's name was Dick Boddy, and he was a candidate for the Libertarian Party presidential nomination in 1996. Back then as today, we had negatarians stirring up trouble. They always do, it seems. And everybody at the convention knew it, and their presence permeated the whole presidential convention like a gaggle of gossiping biddies sitting in the back of some church. When Dick Body addressed the convention, him being the non-negatarian that he was, he didn't even acknowledge that negatarian presence. Instead, he spoke of the promise of the future that the Libertarian Party represented, and how he, as an African-American, best represented a messenger for that future. The only nod he gave to the negatarians was one admonition in response to a question from the floor. 
It's about negativitarianism. And you know what he said? To paraphrase, he said that we shouldn't be pushing our fellow travelers, travelers off metaphorical bridges. But the quote, he summed up nicely in seven simple words. He said, the enemy is not in this room. The enemy is not in this room. So the next time you counter a negatarian or are attempted to go rogue yourself, ask yourself my favorite question, what problem are you solving? And remember here at the Pennsylvania Project, more important than solving the problem correctly is to solve the correct problem. So when it comes to negatarianism, the correct problem to be solved and the correct solution are summed up best by remembering Dick Body and his seven simple words. The enemy is not in this room. On that positarian note, that's going to wrap it up for episode 34 of the Pennsylvania Project. What do you think about negatarians or hunters or spammers or First Amendment auditors or all the alliteration used in today's episode? And I love alliteration or anything Pennsylvania related. If you have something to say, we'd love to hear from you. Contact us at PennsylvaniaProject.com right after you sign our petition. Today's episode is courtesy of Amendment 16 Limited, recorded live at the studios of WWDB Radio, broadcasting 10 a.m. every Saturday at 8.60 a.m. in Philadelphia, and released as a podcast every Tuesday at PennsylvaniaProject.com. Our webmaster, Stephen Worley, marketing guru, Connor Dragotis, featured Toastmaster narrator, Liz Jordan. Thank you, Liz. Featured Toastmaster cohort, distinguished Toastmaster Art Farnsworth, Keyboard wizard Joe the Pag, radio producer Brett Kronberger, executive producer Mark Pizzacco, and me, your caster, Ken Krawchuk. Thanks for joining us, and remember, more important than solving the problem correctly is to solve the correct problem.